Do you want me to do you want me to do do it and then and then you read the the response one? Which which one do you think would be better? I'm sorry I've been kind of quiet. Um Blake give us a definitive. There's Alvin, there's Theodore, and who is the third one? <laughs> Seriously. It was uh it was um um Michael Michael Tate, I believe. <laughs> right? <laughs> Simon. Kirk Simon. <laughs> it was Simon. Oh right. my gosh. Hello and welcome to the Future Family Podcast. I'm Blake. I'm Tanner. And I'm Cody. And we are back in the proverbial saddle. It's 2020 and we are back and better than ever. This time we're talking about the subject that has plagued Christian college campuses for decades and decades, Alvinism. That's right. The constant debate of whether Alvin and the Chipmunks were in fact the greatest musicians of the early 2000s. I'm just kidding. We're actually talking about Calvinism and Arminianism. Um, yeah, the big one, the one that everybody and their grandmother uh, argues about on Twitter. Um, it's basically 90% of Beth Moore's Twitter replies, all that kind of thing. <laughs> you get it. Um, just a quick note about this episode. We're really just doing kind of a broad overview and talking about the discussion of this subject in general. Um, if if when we do the points of Albanism and um, Calvinism and Arminianism, look, I did it. I did it right there. I did it all out. Yeah. Um, is that like the marriage of the two? Anyway, but if, <laughs> if when we talk about the points of these two different camps of theology, um, you have some like, but what about blank questions? Uh, don't worry. Our next episode is going to be like a question and answer format between the three of us where we are going to kind of dig into the deeper questions. Like what does this point of theology mean and what it doesn't mean? Um, what is the purpose of studying all this kind of stuff, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So that's it. So we'd like to point out that these labels may not be best in every situation because not all believe a and none of B and vice versa. I mean, in fact, there's a um, gospel coalition article titled the reformed Arminian for Pete's sake. Um, however, we would like to discuss uh, each side as best as possible to give you an idea of where they come from. So right off the bat, wish us luck. Totally. So uh, before we dig into, there's there's kind of five points in each um, 
theological camp, believe it or not. Um, you guys may have heard this get this whole Calvinism, Arminianism discussion get jostled around a lot on your college campuses or um, back in high school. But basically, these are just two forms of theology that both deal with the finer details of salvation. So like how salvation um, works and is accomplished. Um one quick thing that is worth noting, we all definitely hold this as, if you'll remember in our first season, we talked about open-handed and close-handed issues. This is very much an open-handed or uh, secondary issue. Um, there have been people in the past who have lobbed at either side, either Calvinism or Arminianism, that a holding of one theology or the other uh, basically equates to unorthodoxy or unsavedness. We don't hold that opinion. We think that both uh, a five-point Calvinism and a five-point Arminianism, both saved. It's a secondary issue, uh, but it is something that people just get really heated about. So, uh, Tanner, do you have any history notes for us? Any fun time, yeah. fun time history learnings? Fun time history. Um, quick note just for listeners, if you want to look this up on your own. Um, there is like an interesting history of kind of that involves like war and politics and uh, all this stuff um, that has to do with uh, kind of inter- the introduction of Arminianism and uh, what we referred to as the remonstrance or how do you pronounce it, Cody? I just call it remonstrance. I don't even know. <laughs> we'll say both. It's, it's, who knows how to? Can we get it, definitions, honestly. Blake, back in here? Yes. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's very interesting. You should go look it up because it's worth, uh, at least worth the giggle. Um, but, um, as you probably know, the, the church was founded years and years ago. Uh, the Catholic church kind of became the big, um, sea church for a while, at least globally, it seemed. And then, um, as you may have even heard in history class, I mean, we discussed the reformation in history class a little bit. Martin Luther, you know, 99 theses um, or thesis, whatever the word is. And um, the church kind of, I guess you might want to say splits. So you have the two major camps, Catholicism and Reformed. And, um, you know, one of those leaders being John Calvin, Martin Luther, others. But John Calvin um, established a university in Geneva. He was like a chair of theology. Um, and then kind of had, you know, followers of his that, I guess you say followers or students of his, um, but actually one of them. Um, so then James Arminius, who's the kind of the father of Arminian uh, theology, he um, was a pastor in Amsterdam who studied under um, Theodore Beza, who was like John Calvin's uh, understudy. Um, and Arminius had kind of beefs with how um, they were kind of holding certain things of theology um, a few of the things were just like, I think we're being too extreme, you know, like adding the word alone to Paul's phrase, um, saved by grace through faith, adding alone to that faith alone. Um, and some other things, people started calling him too Catholic leaning because of this. Uh, and then he kind of formed his own um, points on theology. And then later the the remonstrance that we mentioned um, was written as a part of kind of like rule of law for the Netherlands and the surrounding areas in Holland. Um, and it was like, if you uh, are going to be allies with this, you'll agree to this. And people seem to sign it just so they could be like allies with Holland and the Netherlands and stuff. And then years and years later, after John Calvin really died, the five points of Calvinism were a response to the five points 
that Arminian had in yeah. Arminian theology had in the remonstrance. Um, on top of that, uh, kind of to preface all of this, the talking of these two sides, um, most of what we'll talk about when it comes to Calvinism, at least um, happens to be what Calvin discusses in the third volume of institutes. So it's something, you know, not even secondary, it's tertiary almost right. in his, um, in his thoughts on the matter. Um, there's kind of an interesting side note that I wanted to add, but that's kind of like a, a small history, I guess. If, I don't know if it's sufficient. Do you guys think it's sufficient enough? Oh yeah. No, that works. I mean, like the spark notes is pretty much like, uh, reform theology as we know it now, or not as we know it now, but reform theology comes about, you know, like you said, through Calvin and others, and then the remonstrance, the remonstrance happens, <laughs> And then the the Calvinists do a response to the remonstrance, and then um, the five points come about in like 1932. That was pretty much the 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 Spark Notes history from the book I'm reading right now. Yeah, yeah, cool. So uh, we are going to go through uh, kind of the points of Calvinism and the points of the remonstrance one at a time, because of course the points of Calvinism kind of are like. Um, analogs to the points of the remonstrance. Um, and so that's just kind of going to be the, the easiest way to go about it. And again, if you have any, what about questions, we'll be talking about those in the next episode. So with that, all that said, we'll start kind of going through the five points, but since the remonstrance was first, we will uh, take history's heed and go with that. The first one was really that election uh, is conditional on foreseen faith. Um, and so this, Really, and Cody, you can kind of spell out a little more um, election in, in the terms or in the sense that we know it today. Um, but it really is, and with both sides, there is conservative and liberal leanings. And so it's kind of hard to peg uh, a middle ground in that. But um, this is the, the sense that God sent Jesus to save um, in this sense, I'll say the more conservative side, the elect, um, because of, in his foreknowledge, foreseeing that they would choose him. So if you want to take it um, kind of like uh, interstellar and think of God outside of time and seeing all time going at the same time, he, before time or outside of time, saw that Cody would choose to follow him and therefore elected him or regarded him as one of the elect sending Jesus to ultimately atone for his sins. Um, again, more liberal readings into that would just basically say that um, we, God knew beforehand and he already sent his son to die for everybody anyways. So he just happened to know beforehand who would accept him and who would not. Tanner, if you now received a double uh, invitation to be my groomsman at my wedding because you use that dope interstellar reference. <laughs> that is Thank the greatest. You. I was trying to figure out the best way to to demonstrate it. No, that's that's the best thing ever. I love how you also totally use like a movie that Calvinists love for, <laughs> for that. That's dope. That's super rad. Um, so yeah, the the kind of Calvinist response to that theological point was the response, the idea of unconditional election. Um, which is is sort of just a um, a slight different flavor of what Tanner was just talking about. Um, instead of um, the elect or the people that will be saved, um, 
just being based on foreknowledge of who would and wouldn't choose God. Um, it's just based on God's original choosing and him making the first move. Um, this is all, these have like scriptural references, but it kind of logically follows from the first point of Calvinism, which is total depravity. Um, but anyways, just for like a brief definition of those, um, J.A. Metter, who's writing the book Humble Calvinism that I'm reading, basically states it as this. Um, he says, if you believe in Christ, it is because God decided to save you personally long before you saw that you needed to uh, be saved. Unconditional, meaning that no human factors are considered in the election um, and no factors outside of God played a role in his choosing. Um, and election meaning pretty much what we just talked about. So that was the the basic Calvinist response to that Armenian theology. So election, predestination to eternal life. Yes, pretty much. Yep. So the second point um, was that Christ's atonement is unlimited in extent. So that kind of means, um, as Miller Erickson says, Christ died for all persons, but his atoning death becomes effective only when accepted by the individual. Right. So again, the um, atonement, Christ's death, is uh, unlimited in that it is offered to all, but the Armenian stance, or at least the conservative Armenian stance, is that it's only effective when that person accepts it. Right. So the Calvinist response to that theology is the idea of what's traditionally been called limited atonement, but I like the way that J.A. Metter puts it uh, in calling it definite atonement, because talking about atonement in terms of who it doesn't affect isn't in line with scripture. So the idea of definite atonement is um, it's a deliberately bought gift uh, with an intentional recipient. Um, and your traditional five point Calvinist would say that it means God made salvation possible and accomplished salvation um, for the elect. Uh, so it was uh, those people that he chose um, that he died for. Now, this is also the most controversial point in Calvinism. Uh, if you ever hear someone talk about being a four-point Calvinist, uh, that this likely is the point that they're rejecting. So when they reject this point, what they're saying is Christ accomplished salvation for the elect, but he made uh, salvation possible for all. It's just that um, only the elect will end up being the ones that uh, choose. So that's kind of the that's kind of the uh, the the difference between a four point and a five point Calvinist. There you go. Atonement is reparation for an offense or injury, or in our yes. Christendom, the reconciliation of God and humankind through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. Definition: Blake is back. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So there he is. this this is a this is a good point. So like when we were talking about the election point. Um, that's basically a question of, uh, when it was decided that people would come to faith. Right. And the atonement part is a question of, uh, I guess you could say who. I think, well, well, um, maybe not. I think both as, um, I have the book in front of me as Miller Erickson kind of argues, both are a question of when. Yeah. So, excuse me, the logical order of God's decrees. So there's a few different um, uh, theories on that. It's hard to nail down one uh, sufficient one because 
there's not proper biblical uh, support for any of them. Um, but the the two kind of common ones that are represented in the ones we we're mentioning, um, I will try to pronounce it for us. Infralapsarianism, which is the logical Whoa. order of the decrees, are the decree to create human beings. Second, the decree to permit the fall. Third, the decree to elect some and reprobate others. And then fourth, the decree to provide salvation only for the elect. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> with there being, um, after permitting the fall, then electing, then providing salvation, the elect come first and so then salvation comes. So you'll see what happens with the, the next one, which is sublapsarianism, which is first the decree to create human beings, second, the decree to permit the fall, third, the decree to provide salvation sufficient for all, fourth, the decree to save some and reprobate others. So if God, but that one decided to decree salvation, you know, before creation, then elect, then that leaves uh, proper room for, you know, logical uh, reasoning to say, well, then if it's salvation first, then the elect was, you know, rescued, and then the atonement is unlimited. Sure. Next, uh, this is um, possibly, this is not the most um, heated topic, but it is kind of the most confusing topic because um, I've seen both sides, whereas the next point is total depravity. So I've seen uh, writings from both scholars and just articles I've read that the remonstrants um, said as one of the points, total depravity, that we are all bad. We're all evil uh, in sin nature. None of us are good. Um, I guess th- to the extent from both sides, Arminian and Calvin, and mm-hmm. in Calvin, they would you know, perhaps disagree. But I've also seen that, that total depravity was not one of the points that it was actually, I don't know what the, the phrase would be, but that we have the capacity to do good in us, again, with there being two the spectrum of Arminian belief, the more liberal leaning would say that, yes, we do have the capacity to do good in us. Uh, So in theory, someone could live a perfect life. Yeah. No, this, this one is confusing because in fact, both sides, the point is called total depravity, both on the Calvinism and Arminianism side. And I think most Orthodox Christians would like agree, or I mean, like this is just kind of an Orthodox belief. I mean, plain and simple that man is evil um, and in need of salvation, like evil in both heart and action. I think the delineation is, um, for Calvinists, the belief is that mankind is uh, so depraved and in their fallen nature that if given the choice to um, choose life with God through Christ or not, left to our own devices, we would always choose not. 10 out of 10 times. So that's kind of the Calvinist definition of um, total depravity. Whereas Arminians might um, disagree to an extent now, like, like Tanner said, and this is something we can definitely talk about in the next episode. There is gray area to that. Um, I mean, I think most Arminians would agree that like to come to faith, you also need the help of the spirit. Um, But I think Calvinists would just believe you need the help of the spirit because of God's like, former election before the beginning of time, that kind of thing. So, right. Yeah. Even like Arminius in like a volume that we title writings, um, 
said that humans are sinful and unable to do good in their own strength. Yes. So I think most people that may not know the Armenian side, the five points as well, they might assume the opposite of all those points is tr- of all the tulip points is true. In fact, yeah, but there's some great Armenians sure. were. Yeah. 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 The, this definition, um, total depravity state of corruption due to original sin, uh, to infect every part of man's nature and to make the natural man unable to know or obey God. So that's yeah. Kind of both definitions, which I think both sides would definitely agree with that definition. Cool. Yeah. And it's also it kind of, um, somehow naturally goes into the fourth point of prevenient and resistible grace. So um, I'll go with resistible grace first because it's the opposite of the TULIP yes. um, acronym. A res- resistible grace just means that um, when confronted, basically when confronted with God's grace, um, that a human could be confronted by it and just choose not to step into it, not to accept the gift of grace. Um, and then prevenient, um, I do like John Wesley kind of popularized the, um, theology of prevenient, or as I think other people call it universal grace. Um, and it says a quick definition, uh, is a grace, um, that is the basis of any human good in the world. Um, it also makes it possible for any person to accept the offer of salvation in Jesus Christ. Um, again, it kind of gets gray beyond that again. Yeah. And there is little biblical, um, you know, verses to kind of use to support that claim. But, um, you know, John Wesley did use that as kind of a, a way to explain how there is so much good in the world or how humans do good without being, you know, save without being a part of a church or anything like that. Right. So, and so like Tanner touched on the, the analog Calvinist point is the point of irresistible grace. And so, like I said, in total depravity, where if given the choice of our own volition um, to follow Christ, 10 out of 10 times, we would choose. No, the idea of irresistible grace is that when we receive a call to salvation from the Holy spirit, um, based on that that previous election, ten out of ten times we will say yes. So that grace is always accepted uh, when offered. Now the kind of small nuance point there is that doesn't mean every time the gospel is preached it is accepted, um, because the preaching and hearing of the gospel in this particular point is different from uh, like the the Holy Spirit call to faith. Those are two right. those are two different kind of events. That can that will happen at the same time, but don't always happen at the same time, or don't always happen for everyone. And, so that's kind of the yeah. And so now we get to the last point, which happens to be the last point of both points, um, and it is the possibility of apostasy, and that is just the simple um, belief that people can walk away from the faith. And so the Calvinist response uh, was basically the idea of perseverance of the saints which is the idea that once someone is saved, they will not remove themselves from the faith because they're held by God's spirit and power. Um, And so, yeah, I can nuance that one out in the second episode, but that's basically the difference between the two is Calvinists believe that once you're truly saved, you will not um, apostatize. Is that a word? We're going to use it. It sounds almost like a, like a cooking technique. Um, And then uh, Armenians believe that that is in fact a possibility. So apostasy. 
is the act or of refusing to continue to follow, obey, or recognize a religious faith. Boom. Definition Blake. So now that we've gone through uh, the five points, I hope that those all those all make sense to everyone. Um, Tanner, do you have a book that you would recommend for those? Um, the the main text I've been using is uh, a textbook. It's Miller Erickson, um, his textbook Christian Theology. Uh, there's uh, a chapter on salvation. This one is the antecedent to salvation, predestination. There's a chapter on atonement. There's excuse me. There's sections on uh, salvation and atonement and the theories and all the the like. And he does a great job of representing both sides, bringing in yeah um, history and things like that. That's where I got the the quick little uh, tidbit of history of John Calvin uh, starting the university in Geneva and then his understudy Breza or Breza and then Breza's understudy Arminius. Um, but there is a book that I wanted to, that I'm getting my hands on, uh, I guess pun unintended, but the title is hand in hand by Randy Alcorn. Yeah. And I think, um, it, from what I've read, does a good job of kind of, um, fleshing these out. And as I think the book that you, Cody may recommend, um, does a good job of saying like, no matter perhaps where you land, we must, um, be humble in our theology and just uh, show grace and understanding that people aren't going to exactly believe every little detail that we believe. So, yeah. And then the book that <laughs> I'm recommending from the Calvinist side is the one that I've been using for these next two episodes. It's called Humble Calvinism by uh, J.A. Metter, uh, Metters, M E D D E R S. Um, and so this book is all just kind of about how, if you believe the five points of Calvinism, it should make you more humble and less of a douche, which uh, leads us into our next question, which I want uh, Blake to answer personally. Blake, as the Enneagram nine of the podcast, the peacemaker, (laughs) why do these two sides not get along, Blake? Well, so um, as you referenced, I'm uh, just stressed out right now. Uh, (laughs) Of this episode being a possibility in the uh, birth of this podcast, I was like, Oh my gosh, like one and a half years ago. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I don't know if I can make it to that episode or make it through that episode, but um, no, I do. It's uh, obviously I, I feel like people can pick sides and they love to get behind their, you know, their squad, their team, like, Oh yeah, we've got these uh, beliefs. But um, I've in college, whenever I was first like really digging into this and like wrecking my mind around, okay, what is, what is all this? Uh, I stumbled upon a quote from A.W. Tozer, and he is Arminian-leaning, um, so there's a little bit of that in the quote. But it says, Important as it is that we recognize God working in us, I would warn against a too great preoccupation with the thought. It is, sure, it is a sure road to par- sterile passivity. God will not hold us responsible to understand the mysteries of election, predestination, and divine sovereignty. The best and safest way to deal with these truths is to raise our eyes to God and in deepest reverence say, O Lord, thou knowest. Those things belong to the deep and mysterious profound of God's omniscience. Prying into them may make theologians, but it will never make saints. Mm. So that was, whenever I read that, I was like, okay, there's some like, some definite like zingers in there. Um, But of all of that, I loved 
best in in the very center. He said, God will not hold us responsible to understand these mysteries. So I was like, that's, I mean, Mm -hmm. if there's anything we can take away from this, no matter how much study or prayer even, or like thought that we put behind making an argument or a theological belief, at the end of the day, we're not doing it to gain any status with God. Like he's not saying, oh, well, he understands perfectly this topic of salvation. God's not amused. He would rather, how how well are you loving your brother? You know? So I think that really, because I was thinking, I was I, I really need to be able to defend why I have this stance. Like I need to know scripturally and be able to back it up. And it got really, um, not works-based, but it got where I was like, oh, I need to do this in order to prove my faith. When it was like, it was a great discussion and I loved having it. Um, but there were starting in me to rise some, I guess, um, wrong tendencies. So. Right. Blake and I actually talked about this before the episode started, but this is a subject that can either um, improve your walk with Christ and um, like your your understandings as a Christian um, and your and your life as a Christian uh, in its study, or it can totally uh, just put you into some backward sanctification. Um, there's a few different quotes from this book uh, by J.A. Metter, particularly talking about how I know like the, the Calvinist side tends to just be really intellectually prideful. And I really love this quote that says, a humble Armenian can be a good Christian, but a proud Calvinist cannot be a good Christian or a good Calvinist. So like, this this causes so much beef that I feel like it's worth mentioning from the outset that if the study of this theology leads to intellectual pride um, and like you being contentious with your brothers and sisters personally, then I don't think it's worth your pursuing at this moment. But if it leads you on either side of this study to deeper love of Christ and how he works, then it is worth the study. Um, I I think, uh, there's another, there's another quote that I'd like to read. Blake, I'm really glad you picked a quote from a Armenian leaning dude, because this one is from a Calvinist leaning dude kind of saying basically the same thing. So, um, there's, there's two of them that I really love. This, this first one's just a little anecdote, but uh, are you guys familiar with George Whitfield? Yes. So like stunt, like vibrant Calvinist, right? One time he was asked whether the founder of the Methodists, John Wesley, a well-known Armenian, um, if they would be seeing John Wesley in heaven. Whitfield said, no, I don't think we will, because Mr. Mr. Wesley will be so near the throne and I so far in the back that I will not be able to see him. Wow. <laughs> Which I love. That um, is beautiful. And then Charles Spurgeon was asked about this particular quote later on in his life. And Charles Spurgeon had this quote that I'd, I'd like to read from like the, the Calvinist side. He said, as I've read such remarks made by Mr. Whitfield, I have said to myself, by this I know as a Christian that he must be a Christian. For I saw that he loved his brother Wesley, even while he so earnestly differed from him on certain points of doctrine. Yes, dear brethren, if we cannot differ and yet love one another, if we cannot allow each brother to go his own way in the service of God, and to have the liberty of working after his own fashion, if we cannot do that, we shall fail to convince our fellow Christians that we ourselves are Christians. Hmm. 
So that was that's good. We'll just end it at that, man. That's basically that's just good. everybody. Communist one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's just everybody on both sides saying, uh, "Calm the f down." Uh, in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. I do think kind of um, what Blake said. I, I've wondered oftentimes when this debate comes up or comes across my feed. I wonder sometimes if it's just one more thing that uh, the enemy gets to use to stop us in our tracks and sanctification or spiritual formation. Like, Hey, let's get them busy uh, with just arguing and debating these things that aren't the main point, because if they're doing that, then they're not focusing on communion with God and, you know, the renewing and transformation of their mind. So even if they're talking about doctrine, let's just have them argue because that keeps them preoccupied from getting closer to God. Um, and I hope, like I think Cody, you mentioned too, like th- there is definitely um, opportunity in study of this to be edified and to be brought closer to God, to see God in a greater glory. Um, there's also a great opportunity to be built up in pride in whether it be intellectual yeah. or a, a false humility. Um, and so, I mean, it's even, I said this to you guys before the, the podcast, I believe, Calvin even mentioned on the topic of predestination um, that has practical uses, but he warns against delving too deeply into the subject. Right. So even the patriarch of one of these sides, um, as Cody mentioned, the more sometimes intellectually prideful side says we need to, you know, to definitely be on the guard of delving too deep into that. I think it, it's something we need to remember. Like, let's keep the main thing the main thing. Right. Yeah. It has its place, but uh, I think you both just made, you know, valid points, beautiful points that we need to, um, you know, embrace the similarities, embrace uh, a great holy God that embraces both sides and far reaching other sides. Right. That's good. Yeah. I, th- I think, like, if you are spending like the majority of your time studying either of these sides, that like you're you're definitely doing it wrong because it is a a secondary primary not primary issue like Tanner was just saying. I'm reminded of a uh, a word of actual actually marriage advice that was in uh, Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller, which basically boiled down to um, if you are worried about the things that your partner is doing, um, the absolute best thing for you to do is worry about your own stuff. Um, the absolute best thing for you to do is focus on your own sanctification, um, and the things that you are doing, um, that need to be like improved. And this is, this is, this is markedly different because we're talking about sins in marriage and we're talking about a secondary theological issue on one hand, but dude, that's really just my advice to, on my side, Calvinists everywhere is if, if you want to study these points of theology, that is great. But you should prioritize studying them and studying the Word of God, not rebuking others and arguing the points. Well, and that little point leads me, I want to just ask you two, as kind of our closing, how do we improve this discussion between Armenians and Calvinists? Yeah, um, well, I guess because I'm the way I am, I would tend to not even talk about this at all. Or like it might come across like I'm saying, Hey, let's not even talk about this. This doesn't even matter, but that's not my heart. I think we can, I know we can actually talk about these Mm -hmm. things. And I think 
they are important. But talk is a key word, not yell, not argue, not like just let's put two people on a stage and debate it. Um, because we've mentioned it tends to become a us versus them mentality yeah. or a uh, like we we have a divide and it's only I'm on one side or the other. Um, and it gets really uh, toxic, I think, um, because of that. Cause we have like, Oh, I've got my, my support group. I've got my guys, I got my crew in my corner and I'm just going to like lob things over the fence and like try to tear down the other camp. Um, we haven't said camp. Have, no, we haven't. That's we, very sad. You just ruined it. I'm uh, my bad. Thanks. <laughs> Delete that. Um, <laughs> but no, the, uh, but the one thing that we, this is why we created our podcast was because we of three differing denominations of church backgrounds and raisings had real discussions and real meaningful conversation about topics that we necessarily didn't agree on. And so it's no different with this topic of Calvinism, Arminianism. Um, we all fall on different uh, spectrums of that discussion and we can still uh, have a, a conversation that is God glorifying, but also challenging, I would think um, to us. And that was another thing that I was going to say, how we can, or what we can do better. Um, We can do better by maybe not thinking the other person is automatically wrong. We could hear the other person's perspective and, and how they interpret scripture and let it challenge us maybe to search deeper or to even see what that other perspective looks like or try to see through the other person's eyes. So I think it just leads to a, how can we do it better? Um, we can actually do it without being, I, I want to, I want to say aggressive, but maybe that's not the word we can do it while being loving. Yeah. Maybe there we go. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I agree too. I think you know, my first point on this, uh, in the notes is just have more grace. Um, like Blake said, understand that this, like these arguments are very us versus them. Um, and though I'm kind of wired totally different than Blake, I really hate being in or around us versus them, um, debate or argument, you know, unless it's like pineapple on pizza or not. Um, Blake just left the lobby. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Blake has left the yeah. chat room. <laughs> um, yeah, like this, having a very, like a huge us versus them, debate in the center of our faith um, just causes a lot of unnecessary uh, confusion, hurt, you know, splitting and things like that. Um, I mean, my best piece of advice, go back four minutes ago to the Spurgeon quote that Cody read and understand that um, we can have differing uh, conclusions um, or really open-handed conclusions about aspects of faith and still be brothers and sisters in Christ and still uh, absolutely adore God and all his glory. Um, for me, I, I see fault in both sides when this comes up. I mean, uh, the reform side, I think like sometimes we'll uh, forget about works when it comes to our um, spiritual formation or sanctification and Armenian side. Like sometimes I'm like, they forget how, uh, left our own devices we can't do anything good and so um then i find myself like thinking i've forgot about the main thing i've not let the main thing be the main thing um and so all in all i think we need to understand for proper theology but also 
uh, or excuse me, we need to look and study for proper theology to edify us, but also understand that the mystery around God allows for variance in understanding. Um, sometimes that means we all aren't going to, to agree on the specifics of what happens to make us be saved, but praise God that he saves at all. Praise God that he offers mm-hmm. salvation and sent his son. Yeah. So that's my final word, uh, getting a little preachy, I know, but um, yeah, to show more grace. Sure. Sure. I see that hand. Well, all right. Uh, well, that was a great discussion, guys. Um, Tanner, how can they get in touch with us? So you can uh, hit zero on your phone, preferably go find a pay phone, you know, drop two quarters in. They may have, uh, you know, due to inflation, inflation gone up to three quarters. Yeah. <laughs> um, hit zero, operator, call future family. Mm-hmm. Um, if they can't get in touch with us, they come back and say, you know, they're unavailable or collect call. Um, you know, keep trying again until somebody answers. If none of that works, you can follow us on Twitter at Future Family Pod. That's Future Family Pod, or Instagram at Future Family Podcast. Or better yet, you can email us because all of us for our New Year's resolution through social media in the proverbial dumpster fire yes. that it is. We are all and in an uh, Amish community together at the moment. Um, <laughs> I can offend the Amish because they don't listen. <laughs> And so you can email us at futurefamilypodcast at gmail.com. Uh, another thing that you can do, which I'm about to test live because I haven't done it yet, is you can say, hey, Alexa, play the Future Family Podcast. Playing Future Family from Apple Podcasts. Playing the latest episode, episode 31, Merry Christmas. Hey! Let's go. Hey, Alexa. Pause. Thank you. Thank you. That was lovely. <laughs> Anyways, that's awesome. So, Cody, what is our next episode going to be? Well, in our next episode, we are doing the first of maybe some more uh, of kind of question and answer type episodes where the three of us are really just going to sit down and we are going to bring our questions that we have from this week's episode and answer them amongst ourselves. So if you found yourself listening to this episode and asking questions like, wait a sec, do Calvinists believe in evangelism? Or like, wait a sec, do Armenians believe that God is sovereign? Like weird stuff like that. Don't worry. Next episode, we are going to ask each other some, not most, but a decent amount of those questions and kind of have that conversation for y'all. Which, by the way, I was thinking about this today. We've been friends for like a year and a half. How many times has this subject been brought up? Like, I think this is legitimately the first time. <laughs> All right. Um, well, that was another episode. And hey, if you've enjoyed it, we would encourage you to uh, keep listening. Subscribe. Stay up to date. Um, maybe check out the next episode that Cody mentioned. And even email us. We get an abundance of emails. Tanner just spends his whole mornings going through emails. So still flood his inbox or our inbox. But Tanner, resident uh, email person, I guess Cody looks at it sometimes. I do not have the password or I've lost (laughs) the password. So I never look at the emails, but definitely email us. Um, Again, subscribe and stay up to date. Also, leave us a five-star review. That's all I'm going to say about that. Hey, always, as always keep the conversation going with all that said for cody tanner and myself we 
are your future family.